money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. I'm Christian Blood, KTSA News. And now it's time for the Jack Riccardi Show. Hey, it is a beautiful day. It is sunny and warm. It is very windy, though, Christian. Have you been outside lately? Yes, it is. Yeah. Crazy. Got that red I, flag I like warning. I Wilder all day today. I, I, I'm one of those guys, you know, what little hair I have left on a day like this, it just goes everywhere. So. <laughs> I guess that's a good thing. <laughs> I uh, well, I'm relative. I mean, you know, worked for Gene Wilder. So anyway, yeah. uh, just uh, heads up. Uh, I was telling Don this too. Uh, next hour, we're going to get your picks for the divisional playoff games this weekend. So. Yeah, I'm ready. Well, I know you are because you and Don were <laughs> right, practically almost perfect last weekend. So I don't want to meet. I don't want to put any pressure, but you know, people are expecting you to continue to perform at that level. We are I'm ready to build on our success. Building our greatness. All right. Well, uh, welcome to our dreadful little show for uh, Wednesday. And um, I want to start with a story that sounds like a sports story, but don't freak out. We've got people in this audience that freak out. He's talking about sports again. No, th- th- this just starts as a sports story. It's not really a sports story. So relax. Unclench your sphincter. Just, you know, or clench your sphincter if that's what you should be doing. I don't know. It's none of my business. But this is the story of a hockey player for the Philadelphia Flyers named Ivan Provorov. Now, last night in Philly, when the Flyers were playing Anaheim, it was Pride Night. And Pride Night meant that before the game, when the hockey players were skating around on the ice, warming up and practicing... They wore rainbow-logoed versions of the Flyers' shirt or jersey. And then they switched to their regular uniforms and played the game which in which they beat Anaheim. Ivan Provorov said, I don't want to wear that shirt. I, it goes against my Russian Orthodox faith. Um, and I, I respect everybody, and I respect everybody's choices, but I have to stay true to myself and my religion, and that's all I'm going to say. He says he's Russian Orthodox. And um, in skipping the warm-ups, he did not skip the game. He suited up in the regular jersey. He played in the game. The coach of the Flyers supported his uh, decision. The team supported his decision, put out a statement of support for him. Which is good, which is different than maybe you thought you were going to hear in this story. But there are still people that are, that are going after and coming after, uh, this guy because he would not wear the rainbow shirt during the practice, during the warm up. And all I can think of when I, when I see stories like this is obedience school. You know, you take a dog to obedience school. You say sit and they learn how to sit. They don't think about sitting. They don't wonder if they should sit. They don't ask you, where do you have the right? Obedience school and dogs is about a single outcome, and there's only one acceptable outcome. If you don't get the outcome, you don't pay them. 
I find it very odd that we're now teaching Americans to be obedient, like dogs. But that's what the left does. They have this monomaniacal insistence on every issue that every gesture must be uniform. Every shirt must be worn. Every cap must be worn. Every lapel pin must be worn. And, of course, they say they're doing this in defense of rights. But the whole notion of rights is personal choice. What are rights for? if not to make a decision that is right for you. And for a population, gay Americans, who I think mainly just want to live free and love who they love, and as far as I can tell from the people I talk to, they just want the same constitution the rest of us have. They don't want their own or a special one. It's odd that their supposed defenders... Their supposed allies insist on this total, absolute obedience on the freaking rainbow logo shirt. It's about liberty. And when you're defending yours, trampling someone else's is a weird look. And I think most gay people would agree with me. I'm not expecting them to say it or, or, or say it out loud, but I think at least silently, I think most gay people would agree with me. And so this guy is, they're coming after him because he wouldn't wear the, the rainbow shirt. Everybody else wore it. They had the night. They had the event. He played in the game. It's, it's no good. It's ruined because Provorov wouldn't wear the shirt. Now, does that make any sense to you in any, wherever you are in the political spectrum, whatever your politics are, whatever your gender, I mean, does that make any sense to you, or does that just seem crazy? Can we can we start calling these things crazy? Because they are. But they're not just crazy, they're also a little scary. Because the left, or many, I shouldn't say all, many on the left do this on every issue. The other day, it was rip out that gas stove, or you're a baby killer. And they've got this mono viewpoint on everything. Abortion, fall in the line. Immigration, fall in the line. Climate change, fall in, oh, excuse me, climate justice. Fall into line. We can't put people like this in charge. They're bad enough when they're not in charge. Now about the gas stove thing, there was a piece in The Economist that uh, was titled, How Gas Stoves Became Part of America's Culture Wars. And they simply made the point that the talk about banning them was... Um, based on studies, but the studies were misrepresented. In other words, the studies that talked about the emissions and the health risks from gas stoves did not include, and even some of the studies say this, did not include the mitigating circumstances, which are that with good ventilation and so forth, proper management, Uh, those risks are largely moot. But the headline is how gas stoves became part of America's culture wars. Because whenever they're fighting about a thing, it's always about more than that. Right? And if you gave them your gas stove, like, all right, fine, take it, just shut up, you know that wouldn't be enough. 
you know they'd come for something else next. People are already saying the next thing will be gas heaters. Clearly, there is no need for a ban, as well as no legal grounds for a ban. Clearly, we have skipped over the step we used to include in all such stories about science or scientific studies. We used to tell people, here are some reasonable precautions you can take, or here are some alternatives you can take. We didn't go right to, and therefore everyone must give it up. But you do have to wonder about the new kind of get-into-line obedience thinking. And I'll say it again. These are pretty scary people, but if they get real power, if they were to get a supermajority of Congress, if they were to get the presidency and the Congress at the same time, we wouldn't just be talking about it on talk radio. And I had to ask myself today when I was thinking about all this, is it fair to say this only of the left? In other words, aren't there, aren't there people on the right that are rigid and absolute, and if you don't support Trump, you're no good? I mean, I, and, and I came up with an example that I think says it's not the same. Okay. There was a, about 20 or so years ago, uh, there was a book about Ronald Reagan by a man named Edmund Morris. Uh, the book was called Dutch. And Edmund Morris was a historian. And he was chosen by President Reagan while he was still president to be his official biographer. It was a very big deal. It meant that for the remainder of Reagan's presidency, for about four years, uh, Edmund Morris had total access to everything. He sat in on meetings. He was with Reagan in private moments. He could see all papers. He could see Reagan's private journal, which was a very, very big part of, of Reagan's life, his entire life. And Random House gave Morris a huge, I think it, at the time it was a record advance for the book. And everybody was very excited, especially conservatives. And then Edmund Morris laid an egg. He wrote a book that was like a novel about Reagan, not a biography. And it was weird and gossipy. And he made himself the main character of the story, the, 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 the author, not Reagan. He made himself the main character in the story. And it blew up into this whole big thing. But my point, I guess, would be that we didn't cancel Edmund Morris. People disagreed with what he did. They didn't like what he did. And some people bought his defense and some people didn't. And some people liked the book and some people didn't. But it's possible to consider yourself of the right and differ with other people of the right on things like guns or gay rights or even the climate. But I look at the left and to me, to my eyes, it is not possible to to deviate, to have an independent point of view. It isn't even possible to ask a question like, why are we doing this? Do we need to be doing this about the gas stove ban? Or the other day I read a piece about recycling. Now, recycling is another absolute sacrament in the high church of the left, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's right up there. It's one of the, it's one of the most prized holy rituals. And yet this article pointed out that recycling is dead. 
that in most places in this country, the recycling trucks that pick up from the recycling canisters are taking the stuff to the landfills with everything else that you throw out. So separating it and being very virtuous about that isn't getting you anywhere. And then the article explained that the reason they're doing that is because for many years, recycling has not been cost-effective. In other words, it costs more in terms of dollars and natural resources to recycle than it does to just put these things in well-managed landfills. And contrary to what you've heard, we're not running out of space or landfills are, are not all full. In fact, the industry will tell you that we, we have capacity that stretches infinitely into the future. And there are more advances being made all the time in managing garbage. But recycling itself is pointless, say even the experts in the industry. Just the, just the fact that, that fleets of trucks throwing off pollution have to idle and circulate and crawl through the neighborhoods picking up this stuff and then aren't recycling it anyway kind of tells you everything you need to know. But see, this is that obedience mindset. You can't question it. You can't, this makes you a climate denier. You can't, you can't say, well, why are we doing this? Shouldn't we stop doing it? Can we at least reconsider doing it? No. Get back in line and put on your mask. That's how it looks to me. And when the entire issue of the dignity and rights of every gay American comes down to one hockey player in Philadelphia, that's when you know we've passed the point of of absurdity, right? When the whole issue comes down to this guy's shirt. So we went from, and, and, and you could apply this to the assertion of or the struggle for uh, anyone's rights, okay, any group, any individual. We went from, hey, I just want to be treated like everyone else, I just want my share, I want the Constitution, the Bill of Rights to apply to me. We've gone from that to this um, total obedience protocol where if one person isn't wearing the rainbow colors, then the that's the whole issue for all gay and lesbian people. Now, I know it isn't. Don't, don't get angry and start calling. I, I know it's not. I think I know enough gay people. I think I've talked about this with enough people to, to know that's not true. That's not how most people feel. But that's how it's presented by the people that claim to be their defenders, that claim to be their spokespeople, right? So there has to be this total adherence, which is funny coming from a group of people or being said on behalf of a group of people, right? whose whole argument is we don't want to have to obey or comply. We have a different way of living, and we just want to be left alone to do that. It's this monomaniacal approach to issues. Every issue is everything. If you notice that on the left, every issue is connected to every issue, like, um, you know, the vaccine wasn't just about covid it was about health equity. We weren't just trying to cure or prevent illness. We were trying to address, uh, you know, injustices and health inequities. 
climate change is now climate justice. So it's not just, hey, don't litter or, you know, reuse or it's now it's, well, we have to um, extract reparations and we have to punish here and reward there and take from this and give to that. And, and it's like this on everything and every issue connect, you know, guns connect to the climate and climate connects to COVID and COVID connects to abortion. And it's just relentless. And then they start ascribing words like racist, which I think most of us would agree has been overused. But only a person can be racist. Now we're told bridges are racist and roads are racist. That makes no sense. That's like listening to childish gibberish. 210-599-5555. And I think people have become kind of resigned to it. It's not that they agree, but your silence on it is taken like agreement. And the only way, in regards to the hockey player, the only way this stops is when enough gay and lesbian people, and and by the way, I'm not trying to tell anybody what to do. I don't want it to come off like that. But it seems to me, okay, I'll just say it this way. It seems to me that if enough gay and lesbian people stood up and said, hey, we have no issue with him, it doesn't matter in our lives whether he wears the shirt or not. We We don't care. Maybe we appreciate that there's Pride Night. Maybe we don't even care about that. But if you have Pride Night, we don't care if everyone participates. It's not mandatory. Why would it have to be? Who who decided that? When did we vote on that? Now, there was a story in the news, and we're going to have this gentleman on in a few minutes, about a company called Patriot Mobile. And I think you've heard their ads or seen their ads. They're a cellular service company that supports conservative and Christian causes. And the other day, they made a donation of $1,500 in the form of a pizza party gift certificate to the Grapevine Police Department. They just wanted to say thank you to the Grapevine Police Department. And the Grapevine Police Department was grateful and said so on their social media. And then they got... A bunch of people, probably from outside Grapevine and probably even from outside Texas, that savaged the department. How dare you accept this gift from these conservative haters? How could you've got to do better than this? You shouldn't be accepting this. You do you know how this makes you look? It's a mobile, cellular mobile company. And so they gave it back. They rejected their gift. And I think regular people look at this and they go, well, wait a minute. What? If I back the blue, d- does the blue not want my backing if I'm conservative? Because I got news for them. They're not going to get everybody's backing. Why would you listen to these relatively few people and cave in, especially after you've already taken it. And so we're going to talk to the CEO of this company, and, and is he surprised by this, and, and has this happened before, and what will they do going forward? But this is the kind of thing I'm talking about. 
Uh, Glenn Story is the CEO of Patriot Mobile. He joins the show now on the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line. Mr. Story, good afternoon. Thank you for coming on with us. Yeah, it's my pleasure, Jack. Thank you for having us there, having me. I truly appreciate it. So I just told, um, as I understood it, the story of your company's um, donation of a pizza gift certificate to the Grapevine Police Department. Is, is that something that you have done either with them or with other departments before? Is that is that an ongoing thing, or was that a one-off no, it's something we do frequently, right? I don't know how much you know about Patriot Mobile, but Patriot is America's only Christian conservative cell phone company, and we carve out a portion of every dollar that we earn and donate back to one of four causes. Uh, First Amendment, Second Amendment, military and first responders, and sanctity mm -hmm. of life. Mm -hmm. So you can tell what we do is we donate. Last year we donated about $2 million. Mm -hmm. plus to these causes and it's not unusual for us to support police departments and so we're based here in grapevine we thought you know what we we have this certificate let's donate a uh, fifteen hundred dollars worth of free pizza from one of the local pizza places to the to mm -hmm. the um department and, and initially and, uh, they accepted your your donation with with happiness they were they were very happy about it and posted about it and and then what happened well, you know what? It's kind of funny. I was sitting here, and I got a handful of calls from friends and texts and said, hey, dude, have you seen what's going on at the police department? I thought, no. And they uh, they said, look, you need to look at these tweets. Y'all are they've, – they've said, hey, we're not going to deal with companies like this and that, that are, are Christian. I, I don't know exactly, but we have the dignity that we need to keep up. And so we're going to – turn around and donate this to somebody else. And I was a little bit of surprised to be blunt. You know, look, we're not, this is not a political donation. It's, we believe in first responders and, and, you know, we, they have a very tough job. And so what we, mm -hmm. we want to help lift them up and, and give them free pizza or whatever. And look mm -hmm. what has happened. It's created a, a quite frankly, a, a national storm. I mean, I, I'm thinking back to after 9-11, and there were so many different individuals and entities that did so many things for police and fire, not only in New York City, but all around the country. I'm thinking about during COVID when we kept referring to first responders as, you know, the heroes of the pandemic, and many, again, many businesses extended discounts and stuff. Um, so is this about you guys or is this about showing support for the police? Because we know now that's become itself a political, you know, gesture on the part of some people. Well, I, you know, this was about, from my perspective, this is all about supporting first responders. They have mm. a tough job. They really do. You know, the, the I don't want to get into the, the, the side of it, but, you know, the, it's a tough job. I know a lot of a police officer, so we just wanted to show support for our local police department. And, you know, quite frankly, I'm going to say most of them appreciated the gesture. There was maybe a couple that didn't, and then, you know, the woke mob woke, you know, started writing in, and all of a mm -hmm. sudden the chief of police writes this four- or five-paragraph response. And you know, I, 
look, if you read it, I mean, maybe you have, you're kind of going, where mm-hmm. did this come from? What kind of nonsense are you saying? Uh, well, I, uh, to me, it feels like they uh, just got scared. Uh, I, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm going to just say it. It sounds to me like they, they, they interpreted what was probably a very small group of people, and maybe not even in your community, right, uh, as yeah. if they represented all of us. And, and how could you even think about taking? And then they described your company um, as, uh, you know, uh, backwards and uh, fascist and divisive and hateful. But, of course, as we know, uh, Mr. Story, many companies in America today have political positions, right? They take stances on all kinds of issues, and we've seen this play out with Fortune 500 companies and all over the country. So why is it only your company that can't both have have values and support first responders? Why why is that a rule only for only for Patriot Mobile? Uh, good, great question. You did, I, I think I have a partial answer. Look, when you put God first and you stand on stand on principles, biblical principles. It really upsets a small group of folks, and that small group tend to make a lot of noise. And you know what? My answer is I don't make all the noise you want. We're not going to bend to the mob. We're not going to take a knee. We believe in the Constitution of this United States. We believe in the freedom of speech, the freedom of religion, the right to assemble, the right to protest. We believe in the right to bear arms. And if that makes us divisive, if that makes us fascist, so what? Those are just words. They have no meaning. They have no basis. My dad was a World War II vet. He fought for the freedom. He was in the army. He blew up bridges. He came home. His town was decimated. They were either dead or overseas fighting. He reenlisted in the Navy. Look. I grew up with that with that father and, and the people in his church and the people he did business with. And if those people are called fascists, you know what? I don't really give a rat's tail. Yeah. They don't, yeah. The people using those words don't have a clue. And quite frankly, they probably don't live here. And I would even venture on to say that they were probably the ones that sat down with the police, quite frankly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, at the yeah. end of the day, this anti-police movement is the biggest crock of nonsense that I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. Well, I so, hope you keep doing everything a, you're doing, and I hope you don't change a thing or revisit any of your your positions, uh, and keep on keep on supporting uh, first responders because I think most of them will be glad for it. And I'm sorry that in Grapevine they weren't. Yeah, right, and. Well, I appreciate what you're doing. You're out there on the uh, out there talking what you should. And the cruise folks said, "Yeah, you definitely want to talk to the folks over there." You know, it was really a good uh, a really good response. So yeah. I thought, well, heck yeah, I'll talk to you guys. And hey, by the way, if you don't mind me plugging this a little bit, we've got a project down at the border this weekend. It's called the Renewal. And we are taking 2,500 people, I think, $40,000 worth of meats that were donated. Mm-hmm. We're taking this down to the border and putting our hands on Border Patrol and on the local police, the, the Department of Public Safety, the guys that are down there every day. We're down there to show them that we love what they're doing. And uh, we're doing this with Mercury One and Yaku Boyan's Ministries, 
Mm. And, and, you know, it's just going to be a prayer renewal. So, I mean, look, I'm glad you let me talk. I think it's incredible that we're, we're doing as a company that we just believe. Look, it it was a pizza party here. Well, hey, we're taking $40,000 worth of, of meat and vegetables down to these guys to say, look, we love what you're doing. We want you to know that I, we know that the Border Patrol is under attack. I mean, you read about them turning a gun on themselves every yeah. month, two or three yeah. do it. Well, yeah. you know what? If that's fascist, God bless us because I believe yeah. That, yeah, that's, that's who we that's are. That's the strangest uh, uh, version of fascism I've ever I've ever seen. But any, anyway, I, I love what you're doing. I love that you told us that story as well. Uh, keep it up, Glenn Story. Thank you for coming on today. We appreciate it. Yep, have a blessed day and keep up the work. All right, you as well. Glenn Story, the CEO of Patriot Mobile. I, I, I really want to know what you think about this. I can't let this one go. But I'm just going to make a quick point, and I promise I'll get out of the way, and you, you can have at it. But i got to say this. i got to say it, and I'm going to say it right here. Did even one, did even one of the people who chimed in on how terrible and awful it was to accept this pizza party or this gift from Patriot Mobile, did even one of them say, look, I'll buy the pizza. You want pizza? Grapevine PD? I'll get you pizza. No. First of all, they probably don't eat pizza. They probably eat tofu with sprouts on it. But secondly, more importantly, it's so easy, right, to say they don't need the pizza, they don't need the support because I don't like who it's coming from. It's just a, it's just a meal. It's just a pat on the back. It's just a, a, a maybe, you know, I mean, I'm not saying that, that pizza makes everything all right. In my world, it does. But, you know, seriously, I, I, you know, who, who would, de- what human being would deny a hardworking man or woman a slice of pizza and then they go back to work or a donut and then they go back to work or here's a Coke and then they go back to work? It, it, what, what kind of weirdo do you have to be? that that is offensive to you. The idea that somebody else is getting a break is offensive to you. Oh, this, oh, oh, oh. Okay, so if, if, that, if the only issue is who's giving it, then you give it. You replace it. Right? Seems reasonable, right? I don't want you taking it from them, but I don't mind you having it. Here, I'll, I'll give it. No. And that'll never happen. Uh, so the Grapevine Police Department first accepted, then rejected the pizza gift certificate from Patriot Mobile uh, after they got complaints from people who were outraged that the police department would accept a gift or align itself with a company uh, that has, quote-unquote, far-right uh, values. You know, every day, well, I, I, I think most of us, I was going to say all of us, but Every day, most of us do business, and you may not think of it this way, but just indulge me. We do business with companies. We drink their soda. We eat their food. We drive their cars. We fly on their jetliners with companies that espouse not only values very different from ours, but are insulting and injurious to the things we believe in, whether it's voter ID or whatever it might be, uh, sanctity of life, whatever it might be. We do that because not everything is political to us, or we do that because it's just too much of a hassle 
to exhaustively research the political positions of every corporation or or whatever the case might be. Now there are people and don't get angry if you're one of them. I'm not I'm not dissing you. There are people that scrupulously and exclusively uh, spend their money only with companies that align with their values, but it's it's not easy and I I don't judge anybody who who doesn't do it or can't do it. Okay? We do this. We don't complain. How many, honest to God, how many cellular companies or mobile companies are there like Patriot? I don't know of any others. So there can't be one? All the others are virtue signaling out the wazoo. There, there can't be one? And then what did they do exactly? Did they... Did they um, use the, the cops in some sort of photo op to make themselves look better? Did they uh, ask the police to endorse a political position? Is eating pizza, maybe it is at this point, I haven't kept up, is eating pizza a political position? Is it like bad for the environment or something? Is it racist? You see, you and I live in, in, in their world and we're fine with that. They cannot tolerate one exception. All must be aligned. All must be mono, mono issue, mono viewpoint. It's obedience school. You know, when you take a dog to obedience school, they don't teach him to sit some of the time. They don't teach her to heal or, or, or come some of the time. It's only successful if they always do it, every time. And that's what we're in now. We're in obedience school. Our society has become human obedience school. Now, just as a dog, in order to get a dog to obey, or train, you know, training a dog to obey commands, you have to um, reinforce when they do it right, and you have to punish or get their attention when they do it wrong. You can't say, well, as long as he does it most of the time, it's good. That's what's happening with us, is it not? No exceptions are allowed. No holdouts are allowed. No one can go off the grid of political correctness. You can go off the grid for electricity or say, I'm going to grow my own food or whatever, have hens lay my own eggs, but you can't, you can't go off their grid. You've got to stay on it, and you've got to do what they say. Now, when I say you've got to... I guess I should say, according to them, you have to. There really is no reason why, anytime we want, we can't tell these people to get stuffed. Because there aren't very many of them. Number one, they're not 20 feet tall, number two. Number three, they're really not fighters, they just hope that we won't put up a fight. They, they pick battles that they hope will not be responded to, and usually they're right. All this police chief had to do, all he had to do, was say, my guys deserve a, a slice of pizza for all their hard work. We appreciate this local business donating it to him, period. We don't, we don't care about their politics. It's pizza, period. He would have had near universal support in his community. It wouldn't have mattered what the Twitterers were saying. But he couldn't do it. It's like he's been to obedience school. You see this all the time. 
All right, so let's recap where we are in playing uh, or picking the playoffs. Um, Christian Blood, producer Don Cooper, going each going five and one uh, last weekend in the wild card round. Yep. Um, uh, Christian is picking a Super Bowl of the 49ers versus Buffalo. Don is picking 49ers versus Cincinnati. I'm picking the 49ers versus the Chiefs. So let's put these records on the line and look at these divisional playoff games Saturday and Sunday. Uh, Christian, Don, and I will each make picks, starting with the first game on Saturday, Jacksonville at Kansas City. I'm going Kansas City. Kind of hard not to, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, no matter how much you love the Jacksonville Cinderella story. Yeah, it is, but... I think Trevor Lawrence is going to shock the NFL at some point. I just don't think it's this year. Okay. Don, where are you on that game? That's a good point. I, this is a tough one because I, I really want to go with the Jags, but uh, yeah. i got to go with Kansas City on this one. Okay. Oh, Mahomes is too strong. Then we have the New York Giants at the Philadelphia Eagles uh, Saturday night on Fox, and I, I am picking the Eagles. Oh, this is a tough one here. It's a tough. This feels like the one that could be an upset, only because Jones and the Giants just look like the it team right at this moment. Yeah, and I just don't know a lot. I know Jalen hurts his shoulder. Not that his throwing scares anybody really, but that shoulder's not a hundred percent. We just no. don't know how close it is. You know, you get more physicality coming in. Defense is going after it. I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm taking Ooh. the Giants. Wow. Mr. Five and One is going out. Is that as as Regis would say? Is that your final answer? I think the Eagles peaked back in November. They've got recent losses against Washington. Almost lost to the Colts by a point. They edged them by a point at home. Lost to Dallas. Lost to the Saints. Mm. Uh, This isn't Philadelphia from September. Yeah, I will say I, I you're not. I don't think you're out on much of a limb, or it's a very thick limb because this is the upset possibility game of the four for sure well jack like you um, like, like you said quickly um uh quarterback uh, daniel jones just looks like he's turned the corner right now. i don't know yep, why yep. but he, he can run it he's a big dude six five like 240 well he's really I, I think it's because he's doing what he's doing in a way which what what trevor lawrence is doing he's showing us what we saw yeah. at the collegiate level he's got mm-hmm. the right coach both of those guys were not in the right situation at first mm-hmm. and now and now they really are don who are you picking between giants and eagles i gotta go with the giants as well i mean it this is a tough call because with hurts mm-hmm. back on the field yeah. uh it gives Gives the Eagles uh, a possible opportunity to uh, to win, but I, yeah. uh, Giants are strong right now. I don't know Lincoln Financial Field, pretty hard place to come into. All yeah. right, um, the Sunday game, Cincinnati and Buffalo. This is a rematch of the game that didn't get uh, completed uh, a couple of weeks ago. I am going with Cincinnati, even though they're on the road in this one. I to me, um, and I, I know that that uh, Buffalo has an emotional thing. Uh, going on, and I, I get that Josh Allen can be great. He just isn't always great. Yep. Yep. And Buffalo as a team is good, but when you look at what the Bengals have done, they're on eight wins in a row. Mm-hmm. After a really... Dallas beat them week two with Cooper Rush. But then the so are Bengals, you picking Cincinnati? i got to go Cincinnati with you, mm-hmm. yep. 
Don, where are you on Cincinnati Buffalo? Well, you know, I got to go Cincinnati since they yeah, are my uh, right. Super Bowl contender. Mm-hmm. Okay, that was easy. Mm-hmm. And then um, the hardest one of all, Dallas and San Francisco. Now, I will. We, we were all wrong about Dallas last week, and all credit to them. They they play. They were the better team on the field. Dak Prescott played up to the level people have expected. Um, they were playing a very banged up. Tampa Bay team that was mm-hmm. not the Tom Brady that has owned the Cowboys obviously over the years. No. So I don't think you should read too much into that even though I'm not trying to take away from it. I don't see them going into San Francisco and all the different ways San Francisco can beat you with or without quarterback play. I don't see them winning that game. I mean here's, I'm not saying it couldn't happen, I just don't expect it. Here's the problem. The 49ers are playing a rookie quarterback who's mm-hmm. got Four games in the regular season, Mm -hmm. five total. Mm -hmm. Here are the teams he's played Washington, eight, eight, and one. Raiders, six and 11. Cards, four and 13. Seahawks, Mm -hmm. twice. Mm -hmm. Has Mr. Irrelevant played a defense like Dallas yet? Mm-hmm. Rookie, but, but he he they could win they could win with him just distributing the ball. He doesn't have to take I, I, the d- team on his back against Dan Quinn as a defensive court. I, I don't know about that. I, I just don't know. And, and another thing here too is Dallas now has Jonathan Hankins back. He's their biggest run stuffing tackle and a rookie quarterback. Because I know what you're saying. You can have him you know drive the bus, but if you're trying to drive the bus against. A defense like that, I don't know that. That's I'm just saying, McCaffrey points. and Debo and all these other weapons. I, I and 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 probably the best coach in the playoffs is Kyle Shanahan, um, and and yeah. the defensive coordinator uh, D'Amico Ryan's is a genius who's going to be a head coach in five minutes. So I, I, I guess I'm also puzzled. How could you have picked against Dallas in the Tampa Bay game and then be picking them? Over Frisco in Frisco. Because I'm having a hard time buying into a rookie quarterback not hitting some kind of a stumbling block. He's been a better quarterback than Tom Brady's been in the last several weeks. Did he look well, better? I say that. Did he look better last week against the Seahawks than Prescott looked against Tampa Bay? Tampa Bay's strong suit is defense. Not offense. Yeah. Okay. So you're going to pick Dallas. And Don, are you also going to pick Dallas? No, I'm going to, I'm going to pick the 49ers on this one. See, I, I, I'm a quick backstory. I made a promise to someone here in the station. We were talking about uh, how I feel about the Cowboys because I have not bought into the Prescott party yet, like a lot of people have. I think I think last weekend's game with Prescott was his best of the year, and I think it's a oh, one. Yeah. And, I think it's a one and done moment. I I, I think he's going to fall apart again as he always does because he's just inconsistent. But I did make a promise that if the Cowboys beat the Forty ers mm-hmm. then I will. Jump on the Cowboys bandwagon. <laughs> if wow, if people have to know what a big deal this is, Don for Don uh, Cooper to do. <laughs> this is like a kid at the dinner table saying, "Could I have a second helping of liver?" Uh, wow, Don Cooper. But I still, I still have to go with the Forty ers because again, that is oh. who I think is. You're rooting be for them, in, so you don't have to Super get on Bowl. that bandwagon. That's your thing. Um, <laughs> Let me toss it, one more thing in here, real yeah, quick. Yeah. The Niners are on an 11-game winning streak. Mm-hmm. That's dangerous in the postseason. Mm-hmm. You okay. want a loss somewhere in there to kind of reset things. That and then rookie quarterback. I don't know. I mean, I, I want to take San Francisco because I think they're a little stronger, but I think the, I can't get past the rookie quarterback thing. Mm. I may such be wrong. Such an ageist. You're such an ageist. <laughs> um, yeah. 
What about the rust versus rest <laughs> debate? Because you, now you have teams that have been on a long, long layoff. And I, mm-hmm. when I was a Patriots fan, well, I'm still a Patriots fan, but back in the, in the dynasty days of the Patriots, when they would, uh, have those gaudy records and easily get the first, you know, the, the, the bye week. It, it, to me, I felt like it was less of an advantage and sometimes almost a disadvantage because you just, you come up against a team whose blood is pumping and they're, mm-hmm. they're just all sort of a, adrenaline rushed. And yeah, you're rested, but I don't think rested is the most, you know, I was listening to, to, um, Mike McCarthy talk about how they're like, we can't wait to get in there and play. They're not looking for extra days off, the Cowboys. They want to keep this thing going. And so is it rust or rest when you get that bye week? Well, here's a, here's another plus to that is you not only get the bye week, but in many cases, Jack, they had it clinched the week before, mm-hmm. and they may have sat starter. So you may be looking at upwards of three weeks since right. you really suited right. up with intensity. This and we is know what why. happens in college football. When those when those get yep. teams have not played for weeks, and then they play a bowl game, crazy stuff happens. Well, this is why I'm looking at Eagles-Giants, and I'm thinking, mm-hmm. yeah, Giants are coming in here with momentum. Yeah. That shoulder of Hertz has been just kind of sitting around for a while. And Jaguars Chiefs, you know, I like Kansas City, but I'm not going to be shocked if Jacksonville pulls something there. Yeah, but here, here's another side to that as well. Don't you think with that time off, the Chiefs had a lot of time to be able to, to uh, study videotape of uh, Trevor it's Lawrence? Mm-hmm. It's true. All right, guys, we've got your picks. We've got them locked in. We're going to see what happens. Um, and I'm going to try to bring my record up a little bit, but I think, I think I may already, I think I may already be out of contention, uh, in terms of, uh, the rankings with you guys. But anyway, thanks for making them and we'll see what happens. So I'm in the process. I got to replace my vehicle and, um, I'm going through that and trying to wrap that up. And I was at a, a dealership. And I started talking to a gentleman who's a salesman there, and I just had just met him. He wasn't, long story short, he wasn't the guy I had been dealing with. He was filling in for the guy, so he was new to me. I was new to him. He asked me what I did for, we're, we're looking at the car, and he asked me what I did for a living, and I told him. People, by the way, often are, they, they don't believe it. I, I guess there's a lot of guys going around pretending to be on the radio. I don't, I don't know. So anyway, I, I explained what I did and, and, and all that, and, uh, he had a lot of questions. We were talking about doing the show. And, well, what, what, what do you talk about? And I said, well, we talk about what's in the news, but we also talk about stuff that goes on in life and our lives. And um, somehow we got on to the discussion of um, family. And he was saying that um, this was a guy in his 40s, I would say. He was saying that uh, he, he uh, kind of mock complaining that um, – in his family, people are always kind of hitting him up for money. And we were kibitzing about that and commiserating about that. And I said, well, um, I'll tell you what I think happens in families, because I have the same experience. I said, you know, if your siblings talk a lot about their troubles, if they tell your parents that they're having trouble with money or they're stressed about the bills or whatever, then your parents worry about them, right? Like if you tell, if you're an adult and you tell your mom or you tell your dad that you're struggling financially, they're going to worry. And then if you're like me and this guy does the same thing, we believe 
that you don't tell. When you grow up, you do not tell mom and dad, I'm having trouble with bills, I'm worried about money, I've got some expenses, I have to do this, I have to do that, I've had a setback at my company or whatever it is. You don't tell them. I never tell my mom, she's 87 years old, I do not tell her worries, not only about money, but about my daughter or about anything, health, anything. I just listen to her and we talk about stuff she's interested in. And I think that's, so here's my position and I want to see what you think. We had a, he and I had a great discussion about this. I think when you're an adult, you should not confide your worries and your stresses to your elderly parents because all they can do is worry about it. And the way we got onto that was he was joking that because he's the only one that doesn't tell their mother his problems, she thinks he should be helping out the others. <laughs> he should be giving them money because he's got no problems. He's fine. He's rolling in it because he never says anything. But I'm not so interested in the money part. What I'm mainly interested in is, is what do you think of this position? You're, you're an adult. You deal with your problems. You have friends you can talk to and vent to and maybe a spouse that you can or, 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 or somebody that you can talk to on your peer, peer group. You don't tell your parents about this stuff. Yes, when you're a kid, you should tell your parents everything. When you're an adult, don't worry them. Don't lay stresses on them. Don't lay, I know my mom. I know she would, if, if, if she thought there was a problem or a worry or a concern about the job, she'd just toss and turn. She couldn't do anything about it. But worry. So that's my position. What do you think? 210-599-5555. You grow up. At that point, you handle it. You deal with it. You don't go running to mommy and daddy or whoever's still alive and lay it on them. And I feel strongly about this because it's not just a personal style kind of thing. I, all you're going to do is create a sense of, I've got to do something, I've got to help. And if they can't help you, then they're going to start telling other people, oh, uh, Bill is really struggling, I'm worried about him, he's having trouble at work, he's having trouble with his marriage, he's having trouble paying the bills. We need to do something for Bill. And then your family knows, now they're talking about you. Just no good comes of it, you know? I mean, find, find, I'm not saying be an island. Find people you can talk to, lean on friends, it's all good. I do it, you should do it. But don't lean on them, you know? I mean, if you go to your parents with your problems, expect that they're going to try to solve them. And if you don't want them to, or if they really can't, I mean, my mom is in no position to, you know, help. All she can do is worry. So that was what we talked about. And I, and I was using that as an example uh, with him, I said, well, it's not just always the news or politics. We just talk about stuff. Uh, but what do you think about that? How do you handle that in your family? Uh, does that make sense to you? Is that how you do it? Is that, is that your, sir, your approach or, or do you think that's crazy, Jack? I can't believe you would do that. 210-599-5555. Adults should not confide worries and stresses to elderly parents. Just, you know, let them. Let them know when things are good. Give them the happy news. Kids doing great in school or whatever it is. We're having some great weather down here in Texas. The dog did a funny thing the other day. Tell them that stuff, right? 210-599-5555. All right.
All right, so um, here's my argument. If you're a grown-up, if you're not, this doesn't apply to you, and it's totally different. But if you're a grown-up, you should not confide your troubles, your woes, your marital spats to your elderly parents because all they can do is worry, and all they will do is worry. And um, the way this came up was I was talking to this car salesman, uh, Kevin, great guy, new to our show, and uh, he was saying that everyone in his family hits him up for money. Every time he goes to a family gathering, every time he answers the phone, someone in his family is asking him for, you know, spot me $100 here, I need a couple of hundred there. And we figured out in talking that it's because he's the only one of his siblings that doesn't sort of complain to his mom, their mom, about issues. And I said to him, um, don't you think it's possible that she thinks you're rolling in it? Because you never say anything about bills or stresses or worries. And they do. And so, of course, they come. everybody comes to you for money. And I, I, I just, you know, that isn't the reason not to do it, but I, I think that happens. Don is on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Don, good afternoon. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I don't discuss my finances with people, but I spent eight years in the military. I got out. I got a good job that made money, and I asked my parents how much it cost for me to be born until the time period I graduated. In one year, I gave my parents every every money that they owed for me to be born. Oh, and wow. I take care of my parents' sister. That's Why that's amazing. So you paid them that? back. You paid them back for the expense of having you. Yes. Wow. And then I paid them for my school clothes to be fed and graduate from high school. And then I went in the military for eight years, and Mm -hmm. they didn't pay us very much money back in the 80s. But I got out, I got a good job, and I paid my parents back for everything. And then I made sure everything is good for them. Yeah, they that's the way to do it. That's that's what we should do. Yeah, make them comfortable. Keep them keep them in a good mood. Don't give them anything else to worry about. They worried about us when we were little, and they don't have to worry anymore. I, I like that, Don. Very nice. Thank you, sir. Thank you for your service too. By the way, uh, Karen is on the Jack Riccardi show on KTSa. Hi, Karen. All right, no, Karen. Let's try Benny on KTSa. Hi, Benny. Yes, this is Benny. Uh, just commenting on what you were talking about. Uh, the whole thing to me about being a grown-up is handling your own problems. That's what I believe. Yeah, I, I agree. Now, that doesn't mean it's wrong to have like a beer with your friend and go, oh, man, i got to tell you about the week I've had or i got to tell you what's going on at my house. That's okay. I mean, it's okay to vent, but you don't lay that on your aging mother or father and and just cause them a sleepless night, right? Not at all. And I believe the kind of son you want is the kind you should be to your to your parents. Mm. Oh wow. Okay. Be the be the kind of kid you want to have. I like that. Very well said, Benny. Thank you. Um I, I so just to be clear, I'm not advocating if you're going through something really rough, whatever that is, loss, divorce, bankruptcy, illness, 
I'm not saying, suck it up, buttercup. I'm, I'm not saying that. Please don't take it that way. You can talk to people. You should talk to people. You can have professional people you talk to, but you can also have friends and, and so forth. But just elderly relatives, this is a particular issue with me. This is kind of a, I don't know, like a peeve of mine. Is that the right word? Like a, it's like one of those things that's like, ah, why do people do that? And not only in my family, but I see it all over the place. And we were talking about this, this guy and I were talking about this, that you, you're used to telling dad or mom because when you were a kid, you were supposed to. It would have been bad if you didn't. But now you're an adult and now they're 75 or 80 or 85. They're in no position to do anything but worry about it. And they will worry about it. And you know how it is. If you're a parent, you will always, always worry about your kid. And the only time you won't worry is when you don't know there's a reason to worry. So don't give them a reason to worry. You know? I'm not saying don't tell them anything. I mean, if you're diagnosed with a terminal illness, you're probably going to need to tell them, right? But I'm just saying, this is like, I had a fight with my ex, or I were having issues with the uh, custody, or they're laying off people at my at my work, and I'm worried that I might be next. Don't lay that on them, you know. What are they going to do with that? Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. But yeah, this guy was. We were laughing about family hitting you up for money, and I said, "Well, it's probably because you're the only one that hasn't been." complaining so they just you know they just figure you're you're rolling in it you're the first national bank of kevin Gigi is on 550 and 1071 ktsa Gigi, good afternoon good afternoon so what do you think I about think, all this well i i think that it can't be quite you know cut and dry like that and i do think there's a very big difference between men and women um, because when a woman talks to her mother, um, there is a very big difference than when she talks to her father, first of all. And it's a very big difference from when a guy talks to his mother or father. Mm-hmm. Um, men have, you know, and, and I, you know, I know that we have all these different gender roles now, but, you know, typically if a man complains about something, because women complain more often than far more often than men, I will admit. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Is that, are you sure about that? Are you sure? <laughs> Oh, no, 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 I'm not I will let sure. the record show that husband. Gigi said that. Jack didn't say that. Gigi said women complain way more than men. Well, let's say um, women complain okay. about men because there's more to complain about. No. Oh, um, now I see what you're doing. All right. Um, no, but but really, I mean, um, my mother's passed away now, but I would call her and talk to her about just about anything, and I don't necessarily think that she was worried. I wouldn't tell her oh, gosh, you know, um, I didn't get a raise or, you know, things like that. But I think that, um, you know, I think that women can confide more in their parents and their, or at least my their their mothers, in my opinion, um, mm-hmm. and that they don't feel, um, and it's somebody to talk to, not that they're going to try to fix it. Whereas if a guy, if my husband called his mother, she'd be, you know, freaking out about it and going, oh, my gosh, it must be really bad if he called and told me this. So what you're saying is, and, and correct me if I get this wrong, because women kind of share more. When you share stuff, it's not that uh, startling or uh, 
worrisome, but when a, a guy who maybe doesn't share as much shares it, then they really start to take it to heart and worry about it because he's not as open. Is that is that sort of what That's you're saying? Right. Okay. That's, that is right. I could because, see that. Because I, men I usually don't bring things up unless it's real serious. Okay. That, that, I could see that. Um, well, I know we're generalizing here. You'll agree with that. But, right. Um, that, that, that's true. But could you agree that in general, even if you're a woman, if you've got something that's weighing on you, it might be better to tell your friend who could work on it with you, who you know, gets you, who's your age, than to tell an aging, older parent who's not in a position to help but is in a position to lose sleep. Yes, yes, I agree with that. And also, um, if it's a marital spat, unless it's severe, um, that's the kind of thing that you don't want to share yes. with your parents because yep. then they're going to be thinking, you know, you've yep. gone on and you've forgiven your spouse. Yep. But yep. they're holding on to it. So I that's a great that. point. That's a great point. That was advice I was given a long time ago, and it is good advice. You will you'll get over the disagreement, and your parents will never forget <laughs> that he or she right. said that or or did that or whatever. That's a great one, Gigi. Great call. Good to hear from you. Thanks for being with us on our show. Um, Steve is on KTSA Jack Riccardi show. Hi, Steve. Good afternoon, Jack. I just wanted to. Uh, fortify what you said is my mom's 88 uh, i'm 64 i visit her and she says text me when you get home if i get home and i get busy i get a text I yes. say, are you home are you safe no. and the other thing too is you, you hit the nail on the head if you're a parent telling a parent not to worry is like telling water not to be wet no you know, kidding right yeah you know it's just impossible so you might think you're just, you know, telling them about your day, but to them, everything you're telling them, they're seeing it through the prism of you're their baby. How dare anyone treat you that way? What, do you need anything? Can I, can I give you something? And I mean, I, I realized a long time ago that if I mentioned money, they thought I was broke. And I was just complaining about yeah. a bill or, you know, something went up in price or whatever, but they think you're, they think you're dead broke. Exactly. It's it's they're they're they'll never you'll never be uh, seen other than a, a child or a kid to them, you know. And uh, it's which is not a bad sense. thing. Yeah. No. But yeah, no. I think I think that's where friends come in, and and you 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 tell them all this stuff, and and they're not emotionally connected to you in the same way, and maybe they even the, the friends are the ones that can tell you, hey, uh, Steve, you know, get over it, you know. It's not that bad. People have worse problems. And you need to hear that sometimes, right? Your parents are never going to say that to you, but a friend could say that to you. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Steve, thanks for the call. Appreciate it, sir. So we've been talking about the whole thing about talking to your parents. And, um, you know, I just, to me, it's, it's, it's pretty simple. You know, I, I wouldn't say this about every relationship, but my mom is 87. The gentleman that called his mom is 88. At this point, give him happy news. Tell them the positives, let them tell their stories, to ask about their day because they don't get to do very much or go very many places. You know, don't don't tell them. Oh, we're having uh, layoffs at work, and uh, there's a new consultant, and uh, I don't. You know. They don't need to. They don't need to know about that because they're just going to worry. So this happened uh, at the White House, and I don't. I don't really understand this 
Don, we talked about this, and I just can't make sense of it. The, the Golden State Warriors went to the White House because they're the NBA champs, and this is a thing that, that stopped happening while Trump was president, and now it's back again. So they, the, the NBA champs have resumed the tradition of visiting the White House, and they're, they're there with uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. They gave Biden a 46 shirt, <clears throat> and they're doing a group photo, and Joe Biden kneeled in front of the Warriors and then sort of gestured to Vice President Harris, who was not going to do it. This is how it sounded. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't... I don't know what the kneeling was because they're tall. We could see them behind the president, no problemo. So I don't know if he was kneeling because he thought he was in the way, or um, if he was kneeling like uh, you know kneeling. <laughs> I really have no. I. It, it's like every day there is something inexplicable. Usually more than once with this guy. Uh, Kamala Harris, on the other hand, not not going to do it. Celebrity Jeopardy had a question that I don't care how badly you do at quiz shows, you would have gotten this one. I, it's just unbelievable how they whiffed on this question on Celebrity Jeopardy the other night. Cut number five. The 50 states for 300, please. In Field of Dreams, a question is asked, is this heaven? No, it's this Midwestern state, also known as the Corn State. Tory. What is Wisconsin? No. Candace. What is Nebraska? No. What is Iowa? Iowa. Whew. Mm, whew. Um, I mean, I know that Nebraska has the corn huskers. That's probably what Candace was thinking, but um, it's Iowa. <laughs> it's Field of Dreams. It's Iowa. If you build it, they will come. Anyway. Um, I find with uh, all of these TV quiz shows, I'm I'm a total Mensa candidate in my living room. Probably would be terrible, actually, on the show. I've never been on a game show, but like I'm sure when you're on the set and the lights and the cameras and there's people pointing at you and there's distractions and there's the pressure of knowing everyone in your entire life, everyone you've ever known is watching. Yeah, you probably you're probably not as smart as you are in your living room, right? We welcome now to the show on the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line a, a great friend, uh, a ubiquitous presence on the History Channel and the author of numerous best-selling novels and works of history, Brad Meltzer. Brad, welcome back. Happy New Year, all that good stuff. Uh, healthy, happy, and thanks, Jack. So good to be back. The new one, the brand new book just out, is The Nazi Conspiracy, The Secret Plot to Kill Roosevelt, Stalin, and Churchill. And you are taking us into the time during World War II when um, Roosevelt, Churchill, and Stalin really need to get together personally because one of the great, really one of the great sort of untold stories of World War II is not a battlefield story, but it's a, it's basically a, a go-to-meeting story, right? It's about getting these three guys on the same page, in the same room, making sure that they're aligned on on the what is really the greatest global collaboration in history. 
That's exactly right. It is 1943, the height of World War II, and Joseph Stalin, Winston Churchill, and FDR need to get in the same room and look at each other eye to eye. Millions of lives, as you said, are at stake. And to paint the picture, it's in Tehran, Iran, is where they're going to meet for the very first time face to face. FDR gets to town, his motorcade is going through the center of the city, and everyone's craning their neck to see the president and waving back. And the one thing is, the person in the car that they're waving to, that's not the president. It's actually a Secret Service decoy. The real FDR, and this is all true, it all really happened, is across town. He's in the back of a beat-up sedan. He's hiding and ducked down because they're worried there's a Nazi assassin yeah. who's about to murder him, and I just ruined chapter one of the Nazi conspiracy. <laughs> well, and, and so I'm not going to give away the, the, the ending. I, I'm just going to say this. You have to read this book to the very last page because you tell this story about this plot, but then you ask an intriguing kind of Keith Morrison on Dateline, you know, or is it question, which I love. Yeah, and, and I love it too, and, and I love the fact that you appreciate that. So many people who have read the book appreciate, you know, the, the story. You, you have to, it begs the question, why do you not know this story, right? It's such a huge story, a Nazi assassin trying to kill the big three. And when FDR came home from the meeting, he has a press conference at the White House, and he says, oh, the meeting went well, and by the way, the Nazis tried to assassinate us. And, of course, it makes every pay, newspaper in the country, but then guess what happens? the invasion of Normandy, and this becomes mm -hmm. a footnote. And then when you see the Cold War hits, well, America doesn't want to tell stories in, 19, in the 1960s that has the Soviets as the heroes and the good guys in the story, so a new mm -hmm. version of the story comes out. And over time, you know, you see, Jack, that history is not math. It's not just one answer. There's different perspectives, and depending on what perspective you pick, you get a different story. And I love the fact that the one person who's, who never changes on this is the head of the Secret Service, FDR, or Winston Churchill. They know that the Nazis were coming yeah. for them. Um, I loved this book, and I, I, I'm, I'm a history nerd. Um, you, you talk in the book about how uh, we, we now sort of think of, well, wasn't it obvious that everybody would be united against Hitler? But there were a lot of things about which the big three were, were divided, like when to go into Europe, how to proceed against Germany on what front. Obviously, Stalin wanted way more in the East uh, than, than Roosevelt and Churchill uh, perhaps were willing to give him. And then Roosevelt also has this, what now seems like, you know, obvious principle of unconditional surrender, but that was not so obvious at the time. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, we always treat the World War II as a foregone conclusion that we would be mm -hmm. the victors. Mm -hmm. But you realize when you're reading the book just how precarious not only the alliance between the big three was, but what was going on. There's a, there's a Nazi in the book uh, named Otto Skorzeny. Mm -hmm. And Otto Skorzeny, a Nazi I've never heard of, gets paged to come to Adolf Hitler's private headquarters, the Wolf's Lair. And Hitler's looking for his best special operations guy, and, and Otto Skorzeny is a special ops guy. He lines up all his best fighters in one room, shoulder to shoulder, and he quizzes them. Adolf Hitler quizzes them with one key question. He says, what do you think of Italy? And they all give macho answers saying, oh, Italy's on our side and we'll fight with them to the death and we'll beat the United States. And Otto scores and he shouts above everybody, I am from Austria, my Fuhrer. And he's gambling here because he knows Adolf Hitler is from Austria and a true Austrian forever resents Italy. 
because back in the First World War, Italy took a key piece of Austria mm-hmm. and never returned it. Right. And in that moment, Adolf Hitler turns to Otto Skodeni, he's like, you're my guy, and sends him on a secret mission that is so crazy. I'm sure when you were reading it, too, we, we actually, Josh mentioned on my co-author, asked the editor to put a physical photograph of this moment in the book is where, like, if people don't see it for themselves, they won't believe it really happened. It's the wildest Nazi story you've never heard in your life. We're talking with uh, Brad Meltzer. The new book just out is The Nazi Conspiracy on KTSA. The other thing we, we forget now is that the uh, Stalin's involvement is suspect to both Roosevelt and Churchill because he had cut a deal with Hitler. Not only that, Stalin starts the war. We forget this. We always tell the story of the big three, you know, alliance. But Stalin and and the Soviet Union start World War II on the side of Hitler. Right. Right. The only the only reason that they come over to our side is because Hitler invades the Soviets, and then yeah. Stalin's like, "Wait, maybe I'm going to go Breaks join the, the allies. This yeah. is good for me yeah. now." Yeah. And so he's never one you can trust. In fact, I love the moment in the book where you see FDR meet Stalin for the first time, and he says, "You know, he's got the shock of hair. He's got yellow skin. He's got a deformed arm. It's like meeting a, a monster." And and Stalin was. He's a murderer too. Mm-hmm. And 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 the only reason you know FDR is in the center of this. Is, and he has to hold this together because Churchill and Stalin hate each other. Mm-hmm. And, and FDR, you know, we, we did the book. I've talked to you about our book about the plot to kill George Washington and the one to mm-hmm. kill Abraham Lincoln. And, you know, when we look at U.S. presidents and we say, who are the best ones? It's not, as I look at it now, the ones that make the biggest speeches, the ones that make the best promises. It's the ones when a moment that a disaster strikes that they can pivot and be the right person in the right place at the right time and deal with that disaster perfectly. And that's why we all agree Abraham Lincoln's one of the best and George Washington's one of the best. And, and FDR, in this moment, the only thing he believes in really more than anything is his own ability to charm everyone. And he does. He charms Stalin. He charms Churchill. He brings everyone to the table at that moment. Yeah, I think that's a great point because y- you will have people in throughout history who have debated some of uh, Roosevelt's military instincts or choices, but he was a schmoozer, and this particular moment needed that. Uh, also, you explain, and I, I don't know how many books about World War II. I mean, good grief, I've read bookshelves full of them. No one ever really explained before why Tehran, why of all places you would have this meaning there, and you explain that in the book. Yeah, you know, it seems like such a wild place. Um, the truth is, is Stalin won't agree anywhere else. And, you know, when they first ask him, they say, listen, we'll pull out a map, we'll pull out a globe, we'll measure equidistant places from the United Kingdom, United States, and the Soviet Union, we'll meet there. No. How about Alaska? That's close. No. He wants Tehran because there's a railroad there that we use to bring munitions to the Soviets. And because there's that railroad, there's security for the Soviets. And also, most important is security because the British and the Soviets have an embassy there. But most important to Stalin, the desert is going to also, he thinks, keep the secret of this meeting quiet. And what's shocking to me when you look at this is not only does the meeting not stay quiet, but, you know, when we saw, we, you know, the word Nazi sadly gets thrown around a lot lately. But when we saw in America a few years back real Nazis marching in America in Charlottesville, we all wring our hands. And we all say, I can't believe this is happening in the United States. But I was shocked when I was researching the book is we found a Nazi rally that took place in Madison Square Garden during World War II, right? In the heart of New York City, 20,000 people cheering with 
basically big banners of George Washington surrounded by swastikas. And the very first speaker of the rally says, if George Washington were alive today, he'd be friends with Adolf Hitler. And, and you know, to me, Jack, the, yes, I love the fact we deal with the secret plot to kill FDR and Stalin and Churchill, but I also love the fact that you get this view of the war that is just so scary today that, and it reminds us that there's a recipe for authoritarianism. And when you see a, a leader saying those people, you know, Adolf Hitler says those people are the cause of your problems, that, you know, all these Germans, they all went along with it. And to yeah. me, the American yeah. dream is not about making money. It's about when you see someone being picked on, when you see someone being targeted, you use your voice, you stand up and you say enough. That's what it means right. to be a strong right. American. And it's not about obedience and, uh, and falling into line. Um, I, I, I think that's a great takeaway. And, and, and one I also took away from your book is that um, the greatest generation deserves more than the very truncated uh, you know, condensed version of events, you know, which the further away we get from World War II, right, the more we're kind of simplifying it and, and basically making it a paragraph on Wikipedia. But there, as you say, there were people in the United States who took a completely different view of who the enemy was, uh, and had reasons for that. You also had, um, real conflict among the allies that was, that could have jeopardized the whole thing. I mean, what if, what if one of those allies had made a peace agreement with Hitler? Um, so all of the things that could have happened and why they didn't happen are in this book. And again, read it to the end because as fascinated as you'll be by the plot, uh, then you'll be fascinated by the, uh, or is it, question that brad melser brings up brad you've done a great job with this i feel like i say that to you every time you come on but it's it's true every time you come on and and we wish you the best of luck with this book thank you my friend really appreciate it great having you brad melser it's just out the nazi conspiracy the secret plot to kill roosevelt stalin and churchill if you're a history buff you should get it if you know someone who is get it for them I do love the Brad Meltzer books uh, and a lot of other ones. And if you want to check out what I've been reading, you can always uh, check out the Jack's Books blog at KTSA.com. It's just sort of a quick, you know, I, I update it every, uh, I guess about every four weeks or so. In fact, I need to update it now. I've already got several backed up to add to it. But it's just a quick uh, few sentences about books that I'm reading. They're not all new books. Most of them are not new books. Um, and maybe one or two here and there might interest you or pique your interest. So if you're into reading or you know someone who is, Jack's Books at KTSA.com. Uh, he was talking about um, the phenomenon of Americans. There were many. Uh, Charles Lindbergh was one of them, a, an ardent admirer of the uh, of Hitler's Germany and the the policies they were espousing and the efficiency of the administration and so forth. Um, I will say before we get too judgy about that, that the greatest admirers of fascism in that period, in the 1930s, were the people on the American left, the New Deal. Many of the architects of the New Deal, and possibly even Franklin Roosevelt himself, admired the fascist system because... Um, they liked the marriage of private ownership and government control. So that's what fascism is. It's when government uh, assumes control or dictates to privately owned enterprise. 
it's not a case of the government owns all private enterprise like communist China. It's where the government is cooperating with, or maybe I should say it the other way, privately owned entities are gladly cooperating with, lending themselves to the management and the direction of people in politics. And the, you know, to say it now gets people's blood up. How dare you? Franklin Roosevelt was no fascist. He wasn't. A, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying he was. I'm not taking away from his greatness. I'm going to tell you, though, that the vision of the New Deal was the vision of government directing the efforts of private enterprise, unabashedly, unquestionably. We've known this all along. It just isn't said very much out loud. You know who, you know who used to talk about it was Ronald Reagan. When Ronald Reagan first got into politics and started talking about politics way before he became president, uh, the New Deal, which was still a fresh idea, was a common target of his. And, and he pointed this out numerous times. The, the left doesn't like to be reminded of their own past admiration for fascism. Well, you, you fast forward to today. What do you think the FBI or the Department of Justice having secret meetings with Twitter and Facebook, what do you think that is? To target the speech of people they disagree with. What 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 fancy label do you want to put on that? What sweet smelling label do you, do you want to put on that? Um that's a that's a powerful idea and it's not a new one. It's a very very old one. In fact, very old. 210-599-5555 or jack at ktsa.com. The um we've talked about this a little bit each day, the story in Virginia gets worse. There's now, I think we're now up to 18 high schools that um, have been found to have kept secret from students and their families the fact that those students earned national merit scholar recognition. And that's a big deal. Not just because you should know that you've achieved it, but because it actually looks good on college applications and there are scholarships that hinge on it. So when you're keeping that, that, you know, honor from someone, you're actually keeping opportunity and money from that person as well or that family as well. And the uh, governor of Virginia, Glenn Youngkin is, is furious and he's being, um, the media are having a field day with this because they're saying that Youngkin is fighting a war on equality. <laughs> Which is ridiculous. How is it a war on equality to insist that somebody who's earned something ought to have it, ought to receive it? I think they're on purpose conflating the words equality and equity because equity is, is the, is the supposed reason for not revealing national merit scholarships. It's, it's an equity thing. We don't want to hurt the feelings of students that can't get them, don't get them, et cetera. That's not equality. That's, that's this notion of equity. And equity, you know, equality, if you will, is everyone has an opportunity. Equity 
is everyone has the same outcome. So equality is run your best race. Equity is everyone needs to hang back and run at the pace of the slowest runner. I mean, that's just the, the blunt way of putting it. And how does withholding academic achievement or news of it and, theref- and thereby hurting these students, how does that actually help any other student? I mean, you can say, well, we're trying to protect their feelings, but isn't your actual job to get better results for those students? So the ones that don't get national merit uh, scholarships, maybe we should be asking, why? How have we failed them? Or what is failing them? But see, the politicians don't want to look at that. That's hard. And that might involve answers that hurt people's feelings even more. Like, hey, you're not studying hard enough. Hey, you're not prioritizing education in this family or this uh, community is. you gotta, you got to do this, this, and this to get what he got because that's what he did. Oh, no, no, we don't want to hear that. It's very Orwellian, right? I mean, equality just means everybody gets to the same uh, access to the starting line. I don't know anybody that would argue with that. We all want everybody to have a place at the starting line. Equity insists on prearranging the finish line. So he's fighting it. And, you know, I, I would point out to you, Glenn Youngkin was elected uh, governor of Virginia with uh, a lot of defections from Democrats, Asian Americans in particular. That was before this news broke. You can, if they were angry at the Democrats and they were abandoning the Democrats before they knew about this, and they are the ones primarily affected by this. These are Asian American kids at high schools like Thomas Jefferson. If they were angry before, you can imagine what's happening with that kind of voter right now. It's going to be an interesting story in the months and years ahead. KTSA News Time 638. Coming up, we're going to see how you voted on our JR poll question about Governor Abbott. Isn't it time, Governor, to revoke the COVID emergency declaration for Texas? Um, pearl clutching blue states have already revoked theirs. Tarrant County just revoked theirs. We'll talk about that. Um, I, I want to play, I, I, I've been, I've been meaning to get to this and, and it's every day there's so much. Um, Man, I, I hate to even say this out loud, but I do kind of wish we had a fourth hour a lot, a lot of the time just because there's so much. You probably are like, but, but no thanks, Jack. Three is more than enough. But anyway, um, I recently have been listening to a uh, comedian who has a podcast. Um, he's a fascinating guy. He was born in Russia. He... Um, Moved to Britain. He lives, I think he lives full time in Britain now. So he's kind of got that perspective of not having grown up taking freedom and Western civilization for granted. Um, and he ha- therefore he takes a very caustic, stark view of some of the silliness that 
Western civilization is engaging in right now. And you and I talk about this stuff on the show all the time. His name is Constantine Kiesen. And um, recently he appeared at the Oxford Union Club, which is a debate society. You have to be a member. And they pick these big sort of big picture, lofty kinds of topics, and they debate them. And the debate was, has woke culture gone too far? And he had a lot to say about it, and I wish I could play all of it for you. But he has a warning. As somebody that is not of our culture but has moved into it and appreciates it, he says, we're, we're, we're destroying ourselves. We're killing ourselves with woke culture. And he compares it to racism. Take, take a listen to this. Cut number one. I am so tired of talking about woke culture. That's why it's gone too far, more than anything else. And I thank the other speakers for making the points for me, because it means I don't have to reiterate the point that no, no, free speech is not some right-wing reframing of whatever. It's the foundation of Western civilization. Upon this civilization is built, and the Enlightenment values that led to it. I don't have to make the point that has been made by far better people in the past, that the only way to deal with the problem of racism is to treat people on the content of their character and nothing else. And the fact that woke culture seeks to overturn that is a new form of racism that we must all oppose. It means also I will not use this opportunity to say I told you so as someone who spent the last five years warning people in the West that if we continue to erode our culture, if we continue to undermine our confidence in Western values, that our enemies, enemies like Vladimir Putin, will seek to capitalize on it. Now, he also talked about climate change, or what the left now likes to call climate justice. And I think they like that because, in part because that way you can take it in any direction you need to go in. If it gets cooler, if it gets warmer, you know, it, it, it's justice. Right? Like the thing with the gas stoves, notice how they wrapped that around children. Well, you're killing your children. You're giving them asthma. And they can't, they can't reason with adult to adult. They gotta make it about the kids. Anyway, he talks about climate change and he makes the point, he makes it better than I've ever made it, but, but it's something we've talked about. No matter what the United States does or thinks it's doing about climate change, and every day John Kerry says we must lead, he says the real leadership isn't from any particular country. It's going to be from the places where there are the most people and the poorest people. Take a listen to this. Cut number two. This country is responsible for 2% of global carbon emissions, which means that if Britain was to sink into the sea right now, it would make absolutely no difference to the issue of climate change. You know why? Because the future of the climate is going to be decided in Asia and in Latin America by poor people who couldn't give a shit about saving the planet. You know why? Because they're poor. Because they're poor. You're not even going to get them to not want to be richer. And so, I put it to you, ladies and gentlemen, there is only one thing we can do in this country to stop climate change, and that is to make scientific and technological breakthroughs that will create the clean energy that is not only clean, but also cheap. And the only thing that wokeness has to offer in exchange is to brainwash bright young minds like you 
to believe that you are victims, to believe that you have no agency, to believe that what you must do to improve the world is to complain, is to protest, is to throw soup on paintings. And we on this side of the house are not on this side of the house because we do not wish to improve the world. We sit on this side of the house because we know that the way to improve the world is to work, is to create, it is to build. And the problem with woke culture is that it has trained too many young minds like yours to forget about that. So when I was listening to him, I was thinking, what if instead of throwing soup on a painting, I love that he said that, or gluing yourself to the, the doors of the, you know, Exxon building, or, you know, laying down in the street in traffic, what if you went and got a freaking science degree, or maybe you already have one, and what if you went to work, work on, as he says, cheap, clean energy? Give us an alternative, not not the flapping of butterfly wings and rainbows and the kiss of the sun, but something that is an actual one-for-one substitute for the forms of energy that you are having so much anxiety about. In other words, do the work. Don't just bemoan the problem. Oh, but... It's more fun to bemoan the problem. It's more fun to go to protest. It's more fun to, 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 um, posture on social media. But, but what he's saying, and it's so true, poor people want to eat. They want to live. You cannot tell them, sorry, you need to starve so that we can reduce global carbon emissions or, methane from cows or whatever the hell it is no you're never going to be able to talk billions of people out of their own survival it is a luxury of countries like the united states and great britain that we can sit around and wonder should we give up cars should we give up meat should we not you know should we not have uh you know maybe we should read by candles I mean, that's not a thing in countries where you live a subsistence lifestyle, where every day is about will I be able will will I be able to feed my kids? Is there enough here for everyone in the house to eat? We we come home and we think, what do I feel like cooking today? What do I feel like ordering from DoorDash today? Do you realize how different our existence is from theirs? How ridiculous our angsting about this must seem to them if they even are aware of it, which they're probably not. So he makes some great points. I, I think it's interesting. I, I know I harp on this. He's a comedian. It really takes comedians and satirists and people like that, it seems to me, to um, cut right to the chase. You know, I mean, you're a comedian. You've got to, and I admire people who do this well, you've got to get right to the zinger, right? Right to the punchline, right to the... And also, you've got to be um, kind of shocking. Uh, the, the best comedians grab your attention and hold it for the entire set or concert or whatever it is, right? I mean, I'm thinking of people like, like once Dave Chappelle starts talking, I, I don't miss a syllable, right? And, and that's, what that's their talent. 
So that incisive viewpoint and that ability to get right to it and relate it to everyone, make everyone, every kind of person listening get it, we need them. We need comedians. <laughs> Sounds crazy, but um, here he is at the Oxford Union Club um, running circles uh, around the argument and, and really good stuff. I'm glad we were able to get that on. A19. Mm. 654 on 550 and 107.1 KTSA. When you get to be my age, everybody's 19. Um, on the JR poll, powered by me, uh, we asked you, should Governor Abbott resol- uh, revoke... <laughs> can't read my own handwriting... Revoke the COVID emergency declaration. You may be surprised to know it's still in effect. He recently extended it. Um, 83% say yes. I mean, come on. 17% no. New JR poll tomorrow. We'll get started at 4. You can find it anytime at KTSA.com. We were talking earlier, Don. You guys were making your playoff predictions. Did you see where after uh, that incredible comeback where the Jacksonville Jaguars eked out a what was it a I think a they were down 27 to nothing and they won the game 31 to 30 Trevor Lawrence the quarterback for the Jaguars celebrated by going to Waffle House If I didn't love this guy before I I would love him even more now You got to love him now I mean that what come on right went to waffle house also i did not did you know this i i maybe everybody knew this but me i just read the other day it was an interesting little article did you know that the nfl has been putting microchips in the footballs that are used in the games and they've done it for years it's part of how they get those next gen stats that you always see on television there's actually a microchip in the football and I didn't know that. I, I I just figured they, you know, measured it by observation. That the football is reporting data during the game. If the football could talk, well, the football can talk and is talking. They've been doing it, by the way, uh, for five years now. But they don't make a big deal about it. They didn't announce it in a big way. Uh, they just kind of quietly uh, do it. So this, this happened... Right after Tom Brady's balls were too soft. Well, <laughs> let's not hear any. Let's not have any talk about the softness of his balls right now. Um, yeah, I don't know if it had anything to do with that. I, I suspect it probably didn't. Um, but it, apparently, it helps them determine things like when a when a for example when a player does a scoop and score, you can record the speed at which he ran. So when Sam Hubbard uh, of the Bengals uh, picked up that uh, that goal line fumble from Tyler Hunt, T- Tyler uh, Huntley and ran it back 98 yards, they knew his exact speed, and it turns out it was the third fastest run back that year. So stuff like that. By the way, what do you think Brady's going to do? Do you think he's going to go to another team, stay with Tampa Bay, or retire? You have any thoughts, Tom? I think I think he's going to do one more year. I get, I'm going to give him one more year, but... Um, with who? 
I don't, you know, some say that he might go to uh, Las Vegas. Some, some yeah, people are that saying too. that that, uh, that could be his uh, place of business, so to speak. But I think he's going to stay with Tampa. I don't think, they talked about Miami, but I don't think he would go to an AFC East team. He, he respects Robert Kraft. He's not going to go to a team that he has to play the Patriots twice a year. And I just, that, he, he's not, I don't think he's going to go to the Dolphins. I don't think he will go back to the Patriots. I kind of, as a Patriots fan, I kind of hope he doesn't because they need to sort out their problems and not put off their rebuild. Well, isn't he kind of close to the OC that's in Las Vegas? Uh, there's he, well, a yeah, relationship I mean, or something. Josh McDaniels, mm-hmm. they have yeah, a long relationship, yeah. and he'd have Devontae Adams to throw to, and Derek Carr is out of there. I, if I could see it happening anywhere, I guess I would see it in Vegas, but I, I think he's going to actually retire this time. Uh, Maybe it's because I think he should. But anyway, uh, back tomorrow at 4. Find our show on demand anytime at KTSA.com.